Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. All right. Gosh, I'm not really used to seeing real people when I talk anymore. It's... It used to be the camera that was so weird. I was looking at this like dead fish. And now I'm like, real people? It's so... Well, um, we're going to talk about progressive Christianity today, but let me explain the approach I'm going to take because I completely revamped over the last week of just marinating in this stuff, everything I was going to share with you. So let me tell a little story, which I don't, like never do when I start my studies. <laughs> So before Mike gets into his story, let me just give a little bit of an introduction. Uh, This is Mike Winger. Uh, I like Mike Winger. I like his speaking style, you know, just as a person who uh, makes presentations and who has made this type of presentation and who has listened to thousands upon thousands of this type of presentation. I like Mike Winger. Uh, He's easy to listen to. Uh, he's got a he's got an easy speaking style. He doesn't shout and scream to make his point. He doesn't have to, but don't let him fool you. Don't let him fool you. He is not soft in any way. He is not mild in any way. Just his speaking style. He is a raging conservative, and he hates progressive Christianity. He hates it with a passion. And so even though he's not screaming and pounding the pulpit, actually there's one place where he does do a little pounding, um, he's the kind of person who wears a velvet glove to present a good face of fundamentalist Christianity, but there's an iron fist underneath don't miss it. Now, here's the thing. I'm ambivalent about this particular show because I like Mike Winger, his style anyway. I despise his theology. However, I do believe he's partially right in his criticisms of progressive Christianity. And in other ways, I think he's terribly wrong. Some of it feels like straw manning to me, but other of it feels like it's right on the nose. So I'm a little bit back and forth on this particular sermon. Make no mistake about it, though. His particular theology is quite toxic. Whether or not, uh, you know, you would agree with his assessment of progressive Christianity... I think that conservatives like Mike Winger really despise progressive Christians more than atheists. I've said this before. Atheists are really not Christian enemy number one. I mean, they wish that we were their enemy. But their real enemy, the only people they dislike more than us, are progressive Christians. <laughs> because... We are on the outside. We are obviously mustache-twirling villains. We are Satan's willing vessels. I mean, they, you know, they don't don't worry about us. Very few Christians uh, actually get in conversations with atheists. They don't don't want that conversation at all. You'll see it on the Internet. But even on the Internet, unless it's a very Christian, 
friendly board. You know, they don't really get in those discussions on the internet much either. Uh, I'm, I know that there are exceptions, but uh, they really don't like those uh, conversations. It's not profitable to them. They're not going to make any converts there. Uh, you know, some of the real fire-breathing Christians, the Calvinists, they'll they'll get into it with anybody. But mostly Christians don't want that tussle, and um, they uh, they tend to avoid it. But progressives, oh man, you see, progressives are like the rot from the inside. You know, the big bad wolf, he's obviously the big bad wolf. But the progressive is the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's the one that they really hate. Because the progressive is walking around, prancing around, I think they would probably use that word, prancing around, pretending like their brand of Christianity is real, true, mainstream Christianity. And it isn't. It isn't. I would 100% agree with them on that assessment. Progressive Christianity is not mainstream Christianity, if for no other reason than the vast majority of mainstream Christians disagree with the major tenets and ideas of progressive Christianity, and they don't consider the progressive Christians a part of their club. I think they probably have a right to say who's in the club and who's not. Of course, then again, that depends on who you ask. Because progressive Christians, they would say, of course, they're in the club. It's the mainstream Christians, the quote-unquote mainstream Christians that have gone off track. Those are the real aberrant Christians. So it's it's kind of an in-house war. And um, mainstream Christians, especially conservatives, hate progressive Christianity. Mike Winger is no exception. He really despises this group. And he gives his reasons. I'm going to let him give his reasons. This is a very long sermon. This is a one-hour sermon. And I've got a lot to say about this sermon. So this will probably end up being a two-parter. You know, if we make it to the end, great. (laughs) But, um, I've got a feeling I'll be stopping halfway through and uh, finishing this up next week. Uh, yeah. All right, I'll say one more thing. If anyone, if I do end up doing a two-parter, if someone would like to join me in the pew and help me break this sermon down in the second part, you're welcome to do so. You know how to reach me, most of you who would take me up on that offer. But those of you who don't, you can just send me an email at skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. That'll get to me. You can also, if you like, uh, write me an email at redlettersbook at gmail.com. What's red letters, you ask? Well, that's uh, the Patreon effort I have, you can find it at patreon.com slash red letters. And we are going over Jesus teachings. Uh, You can pick up my uh, book, Red Letters, a closer look at the worst practical and moral teachings in history. I'm going uh, through that bit by bit. We're having some great conversations over there. I think that you'll enjoy it. Come on over, check us out patreon.com slash red letters. Here we go with um, Mike Winger.
Um, the story is this. I was about 16 years old. My mom had all these symptoms. She was a single mom at the time, right? And had all these like symptoms. It was just the two of us in the house. And uh, my sister had already gone crazy and moved out. And <laughs> for two separate things that went on there. And um, my mom is, her stomach is really sick. She's throwing up and she's, she's taking Tums. It's not helping. She's laying down. It's not helping. It's just getting worse. She's groaning. I hear her groaning from the other room. So finally, I, I think we have to figure out what's wrong with her. <laughs> like, we've got to figure this out. And some of you remember the medical books that you would pull out rather than Google, which I would argue are probably a better resource because Google creates all kinds of paranoia. <laughs> Google's like, worst case scenario. <laughs> like, that's the first thing you get. But we open the medical book and I'm looking at all of her symptoms and it's like, the medical book's like telling me, is her abdomen soft or is it hard? Are, you know, the things like I would never think to ask. And we end up finding she has appendicitis. She's all the, all the symptoms of appendicitis. And I'm like, mom, you have to go to, I'm, 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 I'm gonna drive you or you're gonna drive or we're gonna call a paramedic. You, you have to go to the, the hospital. So she finally gets up and goes and later she thanked me. And she's like, if you hadn't pulled out that textbook to figure out what was wrong with me, I would have just, I mean, I could have died. The appendix could have burst because she just has a high pain tolerance, you know, so she was just kind of suffering with it. This is my approach right now to progressive Christianity. I want to look at the things that we tend to talk about with progressive Christians as symptoms and try to identify an underlying cause. This is something I was really struggling with, and I think I'm on the right track, and I'll share with you those thoughts. I think after like another six months of sitting with this, maybe I'll have better advice for it. <laughs> I'll share what I got right now. So what is it really about? Um, beyond, there's countless complaints against evangelical Christianity from progressive Christians, many of which have a lot of validity. There's obvious political commitments in progressive Christianity. They're more political than conservative Christians generally are. This is, I mean, if you're a progressive Christian, you're like, no, we're not. You're like, you're, you have no mirror, if you think that. Talk about a person with no mirror. I don't know anyone in my life that's more political than conservative Christians. I, d I don't know who they are. Now, I know that there is a strong political left in this country, this country being the U.S. I know that because we elected a Democrat and uh, we, just by the barest majority, uh, got a, a majority in, the, uh, in Congress but just by the barest majority. So um, I know that there are a lot of political liberals out there, but most of the political liberals I know aren't religious. <laughs> they are uh, more on the secular humanist side. So when it comes to religious people, I don't know anyone who's more political than conservative fundamentalist Republicans. Am I wrong about that? Um, but what's at the heart? What belief or ideas like at the very heart of it? So let's look at some of the leaders in the movement and some of the symptoms that carry across the movement as well as some things that are inconsistent. I think this will help you. All right, so try to track with me here. Um, because one of the symptoms is this. Churches get progressive Christianity like a forgive me if you're a progressive Christian, please hear me out. I'm just being straight with you, hey? Churches get this like a disease that kills them. Um, churches that go progressive come back a few years later and they're usually empty 
or they're meeting in like a, a bar, like five people, the kind of thing. It, Once again, talk about a guy with no mirror. I, I know lots of churches. Uh, I have been to lots of churches. Uh, I have participated with lots of churches. I've done church growth seminars. I, I know all about the problems with church growth that's been going on for a long time, didn't just start now. And what I see when I go to churches are that conservative churches tend to shrink bottom up. So the youth, uh, they just quit. You know, as soon as they get old enough to tell their parents, yeah, I'm not going, <laughs> they don't go. So um, conservative churches, you can, you can pretty much tell when a church is conservative when you uh, walk in and you see everybody there has gray, blue, silver hair <laughs> or no hair. <laughs> they're, they're old. <laughs> They're older than me, <laughs> so. Um, and you ask, well, where are the kids? Well, you know. <laughs> so, uh, with liberal churches, yes, there are some old people at liberal churches too. But mostly, you see younger people. You see active, thriving, vibrant youth programs. So it's a, it's a different kind of church, a different kind of vibe. They're both shrinking, to be sure, but they're shrinking in different ways. And if, if this guy thinks for a moment that the shrinking problem is a liberal Christian problem, he's not, he's not looking at the same metrics I am. It tends to kill churches. Not in every case. You might have a super dynamic speaker that can still have a gathering, but there's something in the core of it that just kills churches. This is whole movements have died because of this. Right? The, the largest denominations that are atrophying and dying the most are the most progressive ones, which is odd because the culture is extremely progressive too. So you can't act like they're just fighting against culture and culture doesn't like them. Something else is going on there. So here are some of the symptoms. Um, faith is celebrated, but not the faith. The Bible uses the term the faith to talk about like, this is annoying to many progressives, but to talk about doctrines that we're supposed to believe as Christians. So it really does use the term the faith, almost like a, like a, a term for doctrines. Okay, uh, I'll have some more things to say about this too. But once again, I would, uh, I would mildly disagree with him here as well. Uh, the mainstream Christian wants you to have faith in something, faith in faith. Uh, the fundamentalist Christian tends to talk about the faith, you know, specific faith, as in the doctrines. And of course, progressives don't uh, necessarily talk a lot about doctrines, but the mainstream Christian in the middle, they're, they're fine with faith and faith, you know? Uh, if you are, you know, telling your mainstream middle-of-the-road Christian parents that uh, you don't believe in God anymore, one of their first questions is, well, what do you believe in? You've got to believe in something. <laughs> you know, They would rather you believe in Cthulhu than to be an atheist. Because, you, you know, faith is just a fundamental part of who we are. And so this is one of those little signs that Mike Winger, no matter, you know, how mildly he speaks, is way over to the right. Like, things you believe about Jesus, like he, he was born of a virgin and he, he, 
he was in the flesh. He lived a real human life. He didn't sin. He died. He physically rose from the dead. He did this for your sins. These, this is the faith. And, the, and I can give you lots of verses that talk about this, but I'll give you an example. First Timothy 4.1 talks about a warning for those who depart from the faith. Now, progressive Christians tend to think about faith as like sort of a, a quality you have. It's like a stuff that's in you that you want to nurture. It's not so important where it's directed. It's more important that it's nurtured and healthy and strong, right? But biblically speaking, faith is believing in the faith, the doctrines, and so only faith that's accurate counts. This seems a problem. Okay, that's a, that's a very, very important statement, and uh, I don't want anyone to miss that. Only faith that's accurate counts. This is a very fundamentalist idea. Your, your faith has to be very specific based in very specific things, very specific doctrines. And faith in false doctrines means that you have a false faith. But then there lies the problem, because the moment you try to get a conservative Christian to be more specific, okay, sir, well, what exactly is the faith then? What exactly are the doctrines that, uh, that we have to believe in? You know, if I'm, if I'm wrong about this doctrine or that doctrine, you know, have I, have I left the faith? What are the doctrines? And you can't get a list, <laughs> especially if you're talking to uh, more than one conservative at a time. Because when they're in a group, they really don't like to talk about specific doctrines because they all disagree on specific doctrines. Impressive to people, but I'm just saying this is the biblical perspective. So 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul writes, The Spirit expressly or explicitly says that in the later times some will fall away from the faith. And then notice how he describes what falling away from the faith looks like. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So you see, like, the, the biblical perspective isn't that faith, this is more of a pop culture thing, that faith is like a feeling of stuff. Like why we, we talk about people of faith or an interfaith event. I don't think the biblical authors would use those terms because they're operating from a different perspective. Faith is only valid and healthy and right when it's in the right things. I uh, just wanted to pause here. The uh, passage he mentioned spoke of the doctrine of demons, and you can say, well, he's just quoting the Bible. But he's quoting the Bible uh, here very selectively. He is tying false doctrines, and in particular, progressive Christianity. He's tying that to demonic doctrines. This is, this is very much how progressive, uh, I'm sorry, how uh, conservatives, how fundamentalists think. So you're either presenting the right doctrine, the truth, or you're presenting satanic doctrine. You're not even wrong when, with the conservatives. You are satanic. <laughs> you are, you are uh, rightly oriented or you're satanically oriented. And um, it's just, there's no middle ground. It's, it's the doctrines of demons. And you see, we, we've talked about demons for two or three weeks in a row now. Um, 
So I'm not going to go there, but this is, this is such an important topic to certain types of Christians, particularly uh, fundamentalists. They can't get away from it. They can't let it go. They see demons around every corner. And when someone is opposing them in some way, especially liberal Christians, it's demons. I mean, it's not doctrines of demons, but doctrines of Christ, doctrines of God. Yeah, he just, he just validated that, and I spoke through that. Um, it's either the doctrines of demons, or it's the doctrines of Christ. Abandoning doctrine amongst progressive Christians is, is, is totally tolerated because of this perspective that the faith or the doctrines are not central to the Christian teaching, at least, at least not the doctrines that Christianity has typically focused on. The ideas of love are very central, okay? But those doctrines are not focused on. So abandoning doctrine is, is celebrated even. It's not only tolerated, but it's often very celebrated so that some people will feel they're brave. And I've seen this in progressive Christian groups. I'm brave. I finally feel like I'm able to like give up the resurrection of Christ. And then people are like, that's very brave. How open-minded of you. And this is not in every progressive group, but this is in some. And it is definitely, I've, I've heard progressives like, oh, I, I've, I've literally heard them say, you know, I've really rethought, I've really deconstructed a lot of that evangelicalism stuff, but I just haven't, I'm not able to give up the resurrection of Jesus yet. And I'm like, that's a symptom of a problem. Like this is, this is not healthy. This is not biblical. It's definitely not Christian. All right. So, uh, again, another sign of very fundamentalist types of religion is that you can never give up or change your view on certain doctrines. Now, what doctrines are those that you can't give up or change? Well, it's the doctrines that the conservatives continue to hang on to. So whatever that is, and that's different depending on who you're talking to. So for instance, the doctrine of instant creation, instant as in six days, God speaks into nothing and the world goes whoop. And six days later, we've got basically what we see today. Well, you know what? That used to be a very, very important doctrine to many people in the church, especially conservatives. Many conservatives have grown past that. (laughs) They're able to give that up. Well, I've finally given up own literal creationism, six-day creationism, <laughs> young earthism, finally given that up. They're now applauded for that. Unless you are at another church or you're talking to another group of people that still hangs on to it. <laughs> so what doctrines is it okay to give up and what doctrines is it not okay to give up? See, for the more fundamentalist you are, the more that you can never change. You must assume you must assume that the first doctrine that you learned, the earliest teaching that you learned, is the most correct teaching that you learned. Because if it's not, you're going to have to change your doctrine and give up things along the way. They really hate this idea. Because the moment you start giving, you start critically evaluating all of the doctrines, and you start giving up particular uh, beliefs that eventually you're going to give up 
something that they do deem is really important. So it's better to be wrong and hold too many old doctrines than to give up the right ones. So they get really nervous when people start giving up doctrines because that means they're becoming critical. They're becoming critical thinkers. They're looking at everything. And once you start looking at everything, everything's on the table. So it's considered courageous. Um, some of the major influencers, we'll hear from some of them today. I'll, I'll quote some of them later and should play a couple videos for you. But uh, author Jen Hatmaker, um, Rob Bell, remember he was part of the Emergent Church. Um, the Emergent Church is the progressive church. There's not really a significant difference between the two. The names just change. Um, Brandon Robertson, more of a TikTok star than anything else. Um, John Pavlovitz, an author. Brian Zond, another author. Uh, scholars like Pete Enns, right? Or Greg Boyd, who whether you would, I would consider him progressive, at least because he fits so many, several of the symptoms, but he would be one who has not given up the doctrines like the resurrection of Christ, so I'm not accusing him of that. Um, popular women's author like Glennon Doyle, she's probably the most well-known that I would consider in this camp. Richard Rohr, he's probably the most influential, even though he's not the most well-known. Uh, I think Elisa Childers calls him the Pope of progressive Christianity. Even though he's really, he's, he's the fuel for the fire of progressive Christianity for many people, even though he himself is, it, it's very odd, you'll, you'll understand as we go along. I've never heard But of most them. of these people don't last. Here's another symptom. These leaders, as you Google them, I'm like, I wanna find progressive leaders that at least have a bigger influence than me, right? Like a youth pastor in Southern California who started doing YouTube videos and teaching theology. I'm like, so who's at least bigger than me? And at the moment, and I know that sounds arrogant, I don't mean it that way, because I don't think that my growth is an estimation of me, I think it's just, it's just an estimation of your potential influence. But, um, but it's really hard to find. Even guys like Rob Bell, like you look at their Google search curve and it's like, Rob Bell, and then the last like five years, yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> Have you noticed how Christians, when size is against them, argue that size doesn't matter? The, you know, the broad is the way that leads to destruction. So I don't actually care how big your demonic church is. But then when they're the big guy on campus, then size matters. And you see, you're shrinking and you're smaller than us, so you don't matter. You know, and I'm looking at these people and I go, like, Brian's on. Okay, yeah, kind of. An, and then his church is shrinking and then people just don't pay attention to him anymore. This is consistent, is that these leaders have blips, except for like Glennon Doyle has a massive current following, but that's because she doesn't focus at all on the religious, religious aspects anymore that she originally wrote about. So what, what is this? This is a symptom too. Churches die, but even the leaders themselves have a blip of big following, big influence in people's lives, but then they just fade. Why? What, what is going on here? I think this is a symptom. So I'm gonna try and get into that. The progressive Christian individuals um, are hypercritical. Let's talk about some of their criticisms against evangelical Christianity. They are often critical of uh, evangelicals or they'll call fundamentalism. I, I always struggle to know what people mean when they say fundamentalism. I kind of want like a definition that holds consistently and I'm not really sure what it is. But they complain about purity culture. They say purity culture went overboard. It made us ashamed of sex. It did. And it blamed women for men's lust issues. It did. They say the gender views in the church are oppressive to women and they do great harm to them. True. Evangelicals are too political. They're shills for Donald Trump. True. 
and they're blind to the pride and damages of, of, the, uh, of the right. Um, they, they're, just, they're just too political in their commitments. The evangelicalism avoids therapy, it uh, avoids science, it's anti-science. And here's, okay, here's the thing. I hope I, I hope I don't get misunderstood. There is truth in every one of those complaints. Amen. But let's see if he walks any of that back. I don't think every one of those complaints is true. And that's why it makes those, those discussions difficult. Because me, I want to go, there's some validity to that. But that's not to say it's totally valid. It's kind of like someone who says of their parent, well, they did this, they made that mistake, they made that mistake, and they conclude, therefore, they were a bad parent and they hate me. Which one of those things is he suggesting is a mistake? Keep listening. He's not actually suggesting any of that stuff is a mistake. And you're like, well, you might even be right about their mistakes, but you might be wrong about your conclusion here. <laughs> you may be overwhelming. And so it's throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Um, this is powerful PR, though, for the progressive Christian movement. They often don't talk about their central issues. They talk about complaints. And this is what the emergent church did back in the day. They were like, we'll complain about evangelical Christianity. We'll find the worst examples of bad things there. And that has set up a bad guy. So then, then we are therefore the purists and we're the good automatically. And so it's not a careful or clear way of reasoning about life, but that happens a lot. Apologizing, though, you might think, well, I'll just, I have to just apologize. Yeah, purity culture made some mistakes, man. It's not women's fault if men lust after them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's biblical. Jesus is like, if you look at a woman to lust, it's probably because of her fault because of what she was wearing. <laughs> this is not, right? This is, men, it's always your fault when you have lust issues. Women, it's always your fault when you have lust issues. Men, it's always your fault when you're immodest. Women, it's always your fault when you're immodest. Like Okay, so help me, somebody help me understand here. Uh, it's your fault when you lust and other sex, it's your fault when you're immodest. So it sounds like he's still pinning lust on immodesty. <laughs> I don't, help me. This is, we all take our own fault. That's a biblical view. But, um, but yeah, purity culture, I guess, in some cases didn't do that. The gender stuff, there's definitely been major issues that have gone on there, although, as you guys will find out, as I'm about to share my big exhaustive study on women in ministry, I'm, I'm, I'm not on board with the progressive side of this either, so. Women in ministry, he's not on board with the progressive side of this. <laughs> okay. Uh, sure. So what exactly is the progressive side of women in ministry? <laughs> um, that said, uh, a lot of his talk is going to be now focused on sex. Because, as I pointed out, over on Red Letters, patreon.com slash Red Letters, uh, and as gets pointed out on boards like Unbelievable at uh, Premier Christian Radio and wherever Christians and uh, atheists discuss things, so much of the Christian conversation is on sex. So much of the doctrine is on sex. It always goes there. And the atheist doesn't have to be the one to bring it up. In fact, the conversation can be on pretty much anything. And given a long enough time, a Christian will bring up sex. 
Um, so apologizing, though, won't help that much because these, the way this stuff is used in public, in discourse, is not to get clear thinking. It's to demonize evangelicalism. At yeah, don't apologize, conservatives. Whatever you do, don't apologize to those wicked progressives. That's not going to help. Don't, don't dare weaken your position by offering apologies for this stuff. They're just trying to demonize you. We just heard a couple of minutes ago where he is literally demonizing progressives by comparing their ideas of religion to the doctrines of demons. As this sort of boogeyman, so that progressive Christians to justify whatever they're doing, all they must do is point at the evils of the other. This is the same as our, our political environment. Everybody, all they do is point at the evils of the other side, and then a lot of us who are looking for clarity are like, I don't know what's going on. Sorry if I'm starting fires. <laughs> just being real. Okay, so let's talk about, not about just the, the, the complaints against evangelicals. Because um, to me, evangelical has always meant I really believe in the core doctrines of the faith. I have a very high view of scripture and that kind of evangelicalism I'm all about and I want to keep holding on to. When it comes to Jesus though, surprisingly in progressive Christianity, this is a major symptom. There's a wide variety of views. They do not agree with each other. He speaks as if somehow conservative evangelicals don't have a wide variety of views on important issues and that they do all agree with each other. Where's that mirror he was talking about? Richard Rohr, who again is like, he influences the influencers. Every progressive Christian pastor and leader reads Richard Rohr, right? Every other podcaster has him on as a guest. And so he, he, he believes in like a pantheistic, what he calls the cosmic Christ. That when God breathed creation into the world, that was the first incarnation of the Christ, which makes the universe Christ, which is your Christ. And Jesus was like the supreme example of this. This is not, this is like a mixture of like kind of a Buddhist, kind of Buddhist, mixed with pantheism, smashed into Christian terminology, is what it is. Um, but that's Richard Rohr. Uh, his Christ is the spirit that embedded in, is embedded in and makes up everything in the universe. Jesus, just a supreme example of it. So then you can look internally for that inner sort of Christ voice, we'll get to this a little bit later, that will guide you spiritually. Now that is not Christianity by any any stretch. This is definitely apostasy. Others, however, think Jesus is in the progressive Christian movement. Jesus is just a good teacher. He's just a good spiritual teacher, though his actual teachings are very selectively used. They very much love the Sermon on the Mount until it gets to the part where Jesus is like, you know, not one jot or tittle of the law, like let's ignore that part, but the love stuff, or the blessed. Oh, I love, man, those, those blesseds are really good. So they have a very selective use of Jesus. Jesus is highly edited to fit certain purposes. This is dishonoring to Christ ultimately. If you're gonna say you're a follower of Jesus, you gotta take all of his words and not just some of them, or else it's just Jesus following you. Others, however, and this surprises some people, in the progressive Christian movement, there are some who are incredibly orthodox in their beliefs about Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross for my sins-ish. They'll define that very carefully so that it, it will not include any sort of penalty or, or substitutionary atonement, that kind of thing. But they do have at least orthodox beliefs about who Jesus is. Now, how in, in the world can there be a movement that is 
cohesive that includes totally blasphemous beliefs about Jesus and totally orthodox beliefs about Jesus. Ask your conservative friends. Here's a symptom, because progressive Christianity is not about Jesus. It's funny, they say the same thing about you. This blew me, blew me away as I'm studying and reading these things and I'm finally getting it. I'm going, I'm all about Jesus. I inherently think it's gonna be some way, let's focus on the Jesus issue. It's just not about Jesus. LGBT issues. They are way more unified on the topic of LGBTQ stuff than they are on Jesus, a hundred times over. It's way more important, it's way more central, and it's way more of a fighting issue. You believe Jesus rose, you believe he didn't, well, we can just hold hands and get along. You're LGBT affirming, you're not, get out. Well, here comes the gang. This is, this is more of a central issue. The church, on the progressive Christian view, the church is responsible for the suicides, depression, misery, alienation, and forced celibacy of people who are not heteronormative or whatever terminology you want to use. They don't see this as a compromise the way that many Christians would, hey, I want to love those people, but I don't want to encourage them in a lifestyle that's not honoring to God and not, not what they're made for. They don't see it that way. Just uh, really brief, a lifestyle that's not honoring to God. Uh, why, why is our only purpose on this planet to be honoring to God? What a monster. He create, created lesser beings not to be puppets, but to be scared little servants whose only purpose is to fear him and keep his commandments. And if we don't, oh, there will be hell to pay. Also, the idea of doing things for which we were not created. Well, you're going to have to be a lot more specific on why we were created. And I think the reason Christians aren't more specific on why we are created is because they know that, uh, you know, see my first point. It's all about giving God glory. He's a glory monster, and we are here uh, to show him who's the fairest of them all. Why it's you, God. It's you. That way. They see it as a mama bear defending her cubs. <coughs> Christians holding the traditional <coughs> Christian ethics about sexuality are oppressive bullies and are hurtful to whole communities of people that just need the love of God. That's how it's viewed. That's how it's viewed. That's the perspective. So you can try to make a case and you can say, well, the Bible's consistent on LGBT, all these types of issues. Scholars, <laughs> believe it or not, even non-Christian scholars agree on this point. The church history agrees. Throughout the whole scope of church history, there hasn't been debate and disagreement on this issue. And of course, love does not mean approval and agreement. I could say that till I'm blue in the face with people, and even some people who go, yeah, I agree, until you don't agree with them, and then all of a sudden, the love doesn't mean that anymore. But it feels like it just doesn't matter. It feels like if you do convince a progressive Christian that the Bible's opposed to LGBT, like lifestyle, not people, okay, the whole point is to rescue people from our sins and point us to Christ, a true loving relationship with God and each other. But if you do convince them, they tend to just change their views of the Bible. Because... The Bible's not central either. I would agree with that. <coughs> this, is, uh, this is also true on the conservative side. Sorry about the cough. Um, it, you know, when you, if you can convince a conservative that some belief they hold uh, is wrong and you can prove that with a Bible, 
you know, they won't say, well, the Bible's not important, but what they will say is, well, you know, you may be reading the Bible wrong in this case, and they might acknowledge at that point, well, okay, maybe we shouldn't take that literally. Or they'll also change their views, but they'll change their views in a way that doesn't uh, get rid of the Bible. They change your views about the Bible so they can read it in a different way. Just, you know, whatever changes they have to make to preserve the particular doctrine that you've just showed them is wrong. So, you know, both sides play games with the Bible, I think. And so I think it's uh, completely fair to say that uh, progressives, at the end of the day, um, don't care all that much about what the Bible has to say, at least certainly not the way uh, fundamentalists read it. But I would ask the fundamentalists, why on earth should uh, I, either as a progressive or an atheist or an agnostic, why should I accept the Bible as somehow the final authority, the final court of arbitration uh, on all important matters in the world? Why is, because it says so in a book, a good reason for me to change my way of thinking and go with your way of thinking? Jesus isn't central, the Bible's not central, and I would argue LGBT stuff isn't central either, it's still a symptom. We're gonna try to get to the heart of it in a minute here. So, um, Jen Hatmaker, let me, let me quote her now. She has a New York Times bestseller called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, The Guide to Being Glorious You. Here's what she says about this topic, and I want you to feel the emotional weight of this, like you're a high school student at lunch, surrounded by five friends, and the issue of LGBT comes up and someone looks at you and they go, you're Christian? And you go, yeah. And they go, well, why do you hate gay people? Now, I'm putting it that way not because everybody says that, but because it makes you feel the pressure of it, the social pressure of it. Um, yeah, nobody actually says that, but go ahead with your straw man. And then someone turns to you and they quote Jen Hatmaker who says, I lack all objectivity. I evaluate the merit of every idea based on how it bears upon actual people. When loving God results in pain, exclusion, harm, or trauma to people, then we are absolutely doing the first part wrong. It is not God in error, but us. This is, this is, this is the thing. Your Christian values, what you think are Christian values on LGBT issues, are not, when it hits the life of real people, they're hurting them. So it can't be loving. So you must have it wrong. Whether that means you've changed your view of Jesus or of the Bible, they don't care. You gotta change. And for the fundamentalist, you cannot change. It does not matter how much the evidence is showing that what you are teaching isn't working or that it is causing harm instead of good. You have to assume that the problem is not what you're teaching or the way that you're teaching it or the uh, inspiration that you got the teaching from, the problem is always with the terrible, nasty, sinful human who's being hurt. They define love differently than I think Jesus would. Um, Jesus, I think to rescue us from this, he says things like, if you love me, obey my commands. Our love for Jesus is different than our love for people. See, when I love people, I don't obey their commands. When I love Jesus, I obey his commands. When I love people, I extend kindness and self-sacrificial care for them. But I don't obey their commands. 
I absolutely agree with him about this point. Um, there is a difference in the Bible between your love for neighbor and your love for God. Uh, and I, I think that love for neighbor in, in Jesus' mind, you know, the, the second commandment is uh, similar to the first or like likened to the first, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. However, that doesn't mean that it is exactly the same thing in scope and nature as the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because he could have just said in that passage, love the Lord your God and your neighbor and everybody with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He could have been done with it uh, just like that. But he, he didn't say that. He gave two different things in two different categories. And so this is one of those places where... Uh, where I think progressives read a bit much here, a little bit more than there actually is. He'll he'll go over it a little bit, but I do agree with this point. When I love Jesus, I obey his commands. Jesus also saves us from this idea because he talks about love like a hierarchy, which I think progressive Christians would reject. I think they have to reject it because of their views, where Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. You can tell these are two very different kinds of things. I love God with everything I've got. I love him completely entirely with all I have. My neighbor, I love like I love me. That's lesser love, by the way, right? Uh, Progressive Christianity takes all that and and it kind of reverses it. Um, Love God by loving your neighbor and loving yourself. But but by, by, and there's some truth in that, but it's not the whole truth and it's presented as the whole truth. When we do it that way, we're not able to tell somebody your life, is, your life is wrong. If they hear it as, I don't love you, we have to change what we say. And so that, that's an interesting dynamic that's going on there. Um, John Pavlovitz, I was trying to look at how progressive Christians define love. He has a book called, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. Which is actually not great advice. So this is where I stop agreeing with him, or at least I'm ambivalent about agreeing with him. I think that he's mostly right about what he's going to say. He's just just got the wrong idea, the wrong conclusion. I have had a conversation with Dale uh, about this uh, before, about my style of uh, argumentation, my polemicism, that sort of thing. Uh, and I was telling him that I'm, I'm not different than Jesus in this sense. If you think that I'm an ass, you should look at Jesus. He was more of an ass. Uh, He used racial epithets, personal ad hominems, physical violence. He did anything and everything uh, that he thought was okay for for presenting and and pushing his agenda. It didn't matter. He was a total asshole to certain groups of people almost all the time. It didn't matter. And uh, I, you know, I would point out several examples of this. And at some point, Dale would say, well, uh, great, then that's, that justifies it. Then that's, that's how I should be. I should also be more like that. He didn't, he didn't take the point that, uh, actually, Jesus is an ass and you shouldn't be that way. His, he took the point of, you know, Jesus is an ass and I should be that way too. <laughs> um, and this is kind of where Winger is going here. Uh, yeah, Jesus, by our standards today, wasn't a particularly nice guy. Uh, you know, Christians were kind of jerks 
back then by our standards today and therefore Christians today ought to be jerks. Let's hear it in his own words. I just think of all, whenever I hear policies on how Christians have to act, I just start processing biblical stories. You know, like Jesus went and like overturned the money changers tables. Like, dude, that was that guy's livelihood. Like that, that was somebody's money table, right? He released the doves. He released them, the birds. Somebody owned those. Like that, I'd be like, well, you say Jesus is all loving and everything like that, but he like released my birds and got rid of them. I just, or like Paul the apostle who goes into the, Sorry, why is that funny? Why is it funny that he released the birds that he got rid of someone's personal property? By what right does he do that? Um, he doesn't mention this, I don't think, but he, he got rid of pigs. You know, those pigs and the demons. He says, okay, demons, go on those pigs over there. He can, this is a whole village's livelihood in all likelihood. And Jesus says, yeah, I don't care about that synagogue and he's like, hey guys, you know me, I'm that famous rabbi. I'm here to tell you that I was completely wrong. Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And I'm now going to argue with your synagogue leader in front of the synagogue, embarrass the tar out of them in front of everybody. I, I feel like well, modern sensibilities about what love means would be like, what, Paul, you really shouldn't do that. Right? Because we're, we're just, we're missing something there. And it's not, it's, we don't have the priority of loving God first that it filters all other priorities. So John Pavlovitz says this in, a, in his book, If God is love, don't be a jerk, page 95. It doesn't matter how much phobic Christians sincerely believe they're loving sinners. If they ignore the, the, pain, the pain expressed to them by LGBTQ human beings, and it doesn't matter if they tell themselves that they're just confronting immoral behavior in the name of God, if the methods they use inflict greater injury. Now let's pause for a moment and reflect that John Pavlovitz doesn't care that he just called Christians phobic and horrible people. Because they are. And that he inflicted injury and pain upon them. And that's going to be because there's a major inconsistency in progressive Christians, which is privileging certain people over others. They argue against privilege, but it's all privilege focused, I think. Um, but this is the view. It's like, hey, look, if you're hurting them, you've got to be wrong. And so all we need is for people to say, hey, look, you're hurting me. So you have to change your theology. Actually, nobody says you're hurting me, therefore you should change your theology. What they say is you're hurting me and you should stop hurting me. It's as simple as that. Uh, we have boundaries here. Your theology I find uh, hateful and destructive. Preach it elsewhere. And the Christian believes that they have the right in the name of God to harass anyone. This, I'm going to coin a, a, a term here. I mean, I'm sure someone has said it somewhere. But we'll call it storytelling as truth-making. Storytelling as truth-making. So, like, let's say we hear a story about a gay man who felt outcast, depressed, suicidal, until finding love and acceptance in a progressive Christian community that finally embraced him and his partner as they are. And now he's joyful, and now he's happy, and now he serves in the church. That story is meant to tell you that you guys have to have this wrong. Because, look, this man is very happy and satisfied now. But when he was doing things the way you say, he was very depressed and suicidal and unhappy. His story, his story of satisfaction proves you're wrong. Now, 
Uh, wait a minute. Conservatives also use stories to make points. They use anecdotes. This is just anecdotes. Um, the, pl the plural of anecdote is not data, no matter who uses it, but that doesn't mean that somehow storytelling uh, is invalid as a way of making a point. You realize this is a different way of doing theology, right? You're, you're used to maybe opening your Bible and going, well, it seems pretty clear. Here instead, we're going to say, hold on, slow down. Nobody really knows what that means. <laughs> we're going to listen to the stories of these real people. Aren't you supposed to love people? So, yeah, here, here's one of those major uh, differences. We will spend time on it another time. Uh, we have done so on Skeptics and Seekers. We will do so again on 4S. Uh, but it's about the Bible. Ultimately, it all comes back to the Bible and how you read the Bible and what you think about uh, the Bible. I'm probably going to break off uh, after this next point here and pick up excuse me another time but yes for for this particular fundamentalist christian all truths about what is right and good for humanity come from a book it says so in a book is his worldview and if you say well okay but Research shows that that is actually not good for humanity, or medical science has shown that that is not good for humanity, uh, or uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and other therapists have shown that that's not good for humanity. They don't care. They don't care about that kind of data. The only data that matters to them is if it says so over here in this book. And so you feel that this draws, plus it feels nice, man. Like, and that's, I'm not trying to deride it, I'm trying to understand the attraction. It feels very nice. Look, I have a, a desire for catharsis that is me getting along with everybody. And this feels good. This, I, that would draw me towards progressive Christian stuff. So there's a problem of counter stories. Uh, so you get stories of people who say, hey, I'm like, I was in the, the, the homosexual lifestyle. I thought I was happy, but I came out and now I'm fulfilled and joyous in a new way that I never knew before in Christ. Those kind of counter stories are really a problem because if storytelling is truth-making, how do you pick which story to believe? And so progressive Christians are forced to say, well, either good for you, right? Hey, that's good for you, but now let's just, let's loosen up the rules. Let's not make it about rules. Let's make it about personal satisfaction. Okay, so yeah, that's good for you. You found it that way, but don't put that on anybody else. Each person could find their own thing. Or their stories are doubted. Um, in a conversation, uh, Sean McDowell, who was, was speaking yesterday, he had with a progressive Christian, they both told stories. The progressive Christian told a story about the man who found total satisfaction in same-sex relationships in a progressive Christian community. And Sean told stories about numerous people he'd known who talked about satisfaction in Christ when they gave up those lifestyles. And what was interesting was the response. The progressive Christian responded like he had to pick which stories to believe. And he goes, well, I have a hard time honestly believing those stories because it's storytelling is truth-making. Now me, I'm like, I believe all those stories. I just think my satisfaction does not prove the goodness and truthfulness of a thing. Now that might not seem like a big deal to you, but it seems like a pretty significant worldview shift on this topic. It is a significant worldview shift on this topic. And I think that, that is something that everyone has to come to terms with. 
Is your satisfaction important? Is your experience as a human being, as a mature, growing, uh, fully vested human being, is that important or do you cast it all aside to honor some words in a book? Just because you're satisfied in Jesus doesn't mean it's true. Just because you're satisfied in a lifestyle that the Bible seems to say is incorrect doesn't make it a good lifestyle. There are other measures of truth beyond this. I'm trying to hold that consistently. Um, but these counter stories are a problem. We'll, we'll see how they are resolving this now, I think, moving forward. But um, the Bible says it's wrong, that maybe it's unnatural or it's harmful, that it brings judgment and pain. No, 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 no. This is not our measure. The stories prove that it's good. So you have to change your view on those other things. This is a key symptom. I think it really gets us at the heart of the problem to address the appendicitis, whatever you want to call it. Um, so there's also inconsistencies that I'll just briefly mention. They often rail against doctrine. Uh, we don't have doctrine, we don't have dogma, but they do, and they're extremely dogmatic about it. Um, this is just reality. There's, just, there's, there's a ton of important doctrine. It's just that it's different doctrines than they're used to. They're not the doctrines they're complaining about. They're the doctrines they're promoting. They say that ultimately God is kind of going to be defined as you define God from your inner. This is one of the reasons why they avoid doctrine, because it avoids your ability to define God for yourself. Although they would think we're discovering God. I'm looking internally and I'm sort of discovering who God is. But we won't push who God is on anybody because we don't want to hinder each person's individual expression of what that looks like. Um, but God is definitely LGBT approving. Right? All I'm suggesting here is that there's an inconsistency here. We don't know for sure. You know, you discover God. We're not trying to push doctrines, but God is absolutely affirming for sure, for sure. And if you don't think so, it's because you're phobic or you're hateful or you're bigot or you're basically just like kind of a spirit. You're spiritually slow. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like underdeveloped. It's kind of a thing. So um, they don't have certainty. Certainty is bad. Certainty is, in, there's whole books written by progressives about the badness of certainty and the glorying and not being certain about things. But the things they're very certain about, they never notice they have certainty about that stuff. So there's, there's no mirror. Again, there's no mirror. And uh, it's, it's a hard thing to hold a mirror up to our, our own worldviews to make sure we're being consistent. But progressive Christianity is not consistent at all. They're certainly LGBT affirming. They're certainly pro-choice. They're certainly anti-evangelical. They all agree purity culture is a disaster. They all, they, all, they all agree on all those qualities. They're very certain about it. They're certain they, they don't like those things. Loving um, is also uh, inconsistent. Love is an inconsistent thing. Okay, there's different versions of, of love. We think about it like smiling at people and being gracious and nice and stuff like that. Like, well, that's, that's like the lowest rung of love, of love in my opinion. Um, love is like self-sacrifice for the good and benefit of others. That, that's, that's like more up on the top as a Christian. I'm talking about like what Jesus did. I don't know if Jesus smiled at everybody that he met. But I know he died for everybody who sinned. Right? Okay, so uh, just a quick word on this point. Yeah, uh, Jesus was an ass. He was not a nice guy. He's not the kind of guy that you'd want to spend an extended amount of time with. But you see, Christians, they kind of have this uh, bifurcated view on love. You can be a mean, nasty asshole uh, to people, uh, as hateful as you want to, as long as you hold the right doctrines about love. In this case, 
you know, Jesus died for everybody. So that excuses the fact that he was really kind of a nasty cuss. But I would argue that him, quote unquote, dying for everybody is kind of meaningless since under the same conservative view that, uh, that this person would represent, the vast majority of people that he died for are going to burn in a literal hell. Right, like that there's just a difference that's going on there? So those are um, some, uh, some of the uh, inconsistencies. <clears throat> um, let's talk about how they treat the Bible. Okay, and I think that's where I'm going to cut it off for now. I don't know exactly what the time looks like, but I have reached the end uh, of my time. Uh, my apologies, a lot to say. This is a long sermon, so we'll finish up this sermon next time. And uh, so till then, thanks for joining me.